This is the Early Childhood Research Podcast, and you're listening to Episode 7. Welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast, where we tell you how the latest research can help in your home and in your classroom. Welcome, it's great to have you here. I'm Liz and I'm the host of the Early Childhood Research Podcast. This is Episode 7, and today I'm speaking to Megan Keyes about the gap that exists between early childhood educators and the general public regarding what we understand about child development and care, why it matters, and what we can do to align those understandings. Megan works for the Centre for Community Child Health at the Royal Children's Hospital and the Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne, Australia. You can find a transcript of this interview, plus links to some fantastic free resources that we'll be discussing at lizesearlylearningspot.com. Just click on the podcast tab and look for episode 7. I can't emphasise enough how much help these resources will be for any educator who communicates with parents about how children learn and grow. Now to the interview. Megan Keyes, welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. The Centre for Community Child Health has put a ton of time and money and effort into working out how best to communicate with the public about early childhood development and care. Why have you done this? Well, the the Centre for Community Child Health has been looking at how to improve outcomes for children and families for over 20 years now. And what we know from over two decades of work is that if we're going to make a difference for children and children's outcomes, governments need to make a much greater investment in early childhood development. Mm. So in the really early years, I'm talking from conception onwards. Right. However, at the moment, the biggest government investment goes into intervention or treatment. And of course, intervention and treatment are necessary. Mm. But if we just continue down that path of pumping more and more money into the back end, if you like, Mm. rather than the front end, Mm. we're never going to be able to completely turn things around for children and the cost of our health system will just become completely unsustainable. But we've known all of this for a really long time now. And despite a lot of advocacy work from across the early years sector, we haven't really been able to make the big changes that we need to make. And what we've come to realise is that if we're going to change the way government invests in children and families, we need the general public to push for this, to get behind those advocacy efforts of the early years sector. And up until now, we haven't really been seeing that high level of public support for early childhood development. And we weren't really sure why, because the science seems so compelling to us. Right. We couldn't understand why it wasn't so compelling for everyone else. Mm. And then we came across a strategic communications organisation called the Frameworks Institute, who are based in Washington. And after doing some work with Frameworks, we realised that actually the problem was us. And when I say us, I sort of mean the, the whole early years sector, really. Right. We weren't communicating about the science of early childhood effectively. We didn't know our target audience well enough to know what kind of messaging would work and what Mm. wouldn't. So that's why we've invested the money and the time and the effort and we did the research so that we could find out how to make our communications more effective. Right. So you're saying that what we understand about early childhood is not the same as what the general public understand about early childhood. Yes, that's right. We found throughout the research that there are a number of gaps between what the experts 
know or understand about early childhood Mm. and what the general public thinks. Your research with over 4,000 Australians showed that there are some big differences between what the experts believe and what the average person on the street believes. For example, most Australians think of childcare as a place to put children so they'll be safe while their parents are at work. But experts see childcare as a place where children develop. For an early childcare centre, what difference could it make to them if their family started thinking about child development as the primary reason they're there rather than just a safety issue? Well, I think if families saw childcare centres as being primarily about child development rather than primarily about safety, it would make a huge difference to the ability of childcare settings to work with children and families to optimise children's development. Because I think if you really understand how development happens in the very early years and how much brain development happens Mm. during this period, you would want the very best people around your child and supporting your child at this time. And you would want those people to be highly trained and skilled in their jobs so that they can provide the support and the development that your child needs. But as we were saying, we know that unfortunately many Australians don't quite understand the processes behind how children develop and Mm. how the brain develops. And so their primary concern is about keeping their child safe, which is perfectly understandable, of course, and safety is obviously important. But it ultimately doesn't benefit children for that to be considered the sole purpose of childcare. And, and that's really been the benefit of this research because now that we know what the gaps are between what the experts know and what the general public thinks, mm. we can start to address those gaps. So we can break down the science so that it becomes more accessible to the average person. And if we do that well, families will come to understand why it's so important to be focusing on development mm. rather than just safety in those very early years. When thinking about how children learn, experts say that it's through interaction, a constant back and forth between a child and the people and the environment around them, whereas the public think of children as sponges that just soak up whatever's around them. What's wrong with seeing children in that way? To understand what the problem is with thinking children are like sponges, we need to understand how children actually develop. And as you said, children actually develop through their relationships with the people around them. Mm. There's a a saying I really like that says, children use adults' brains to develop their own. So Mm. while we know that children are born primed to learn, that doesn't mean that they learn automatically or regardless. They need the adults around them to be guiding their learning and offering new challenges and extending their thinking and their interests. Right now in Australia, we actually know that one in five children are starting school developmentally vulnerable. And that means that by the time they get to school, they're actually already behind their peers. Mm. And we're seeing some particularly big discrepancies in children's language development. And what we need to support these children to bring these children up to the level of their peers is high quality interactions between the children and the adults around them. Mm. So... That means, you know, adults getting down on the floor with them, reading, singing, telling stories and nursery rhymes, Mm. encouraging the development of their fine and gross motor skills. All of the things that we know doesn't actually happen automatically. Right. And this goes back to what you were saying before, that the government needs to intercede on the front end rather than at the back end. That's right, because if we wait, then the problems have already arisen 
And then it just, it's more costly. And even, you know, from a moral sense, we don't want to wait until there are problems with children. We want to intervene beforehand so that those problems don't arise in the first place. Right. To help educate the public, a number of metaphors have been developed that educators can use when talking about child well-being. For example, you refer to child mental health as being like a table, and that table can have a level base, or it can be a little bit wobbly, or it can be on such a slope that hardly anything can sit on it without sliding off. What does this metaphor tell us? This is a really useful metaphor, I find, to talk about children's mental health or children's well-being. So to start with, most of the public don't even tend to think about mental health when it comes to children. Mm. They tend to think it's something that sort of happens later on in the teenage years or when people reach adulthood. And if they do think about mental health, they generally default pretty quickly to mental illness. And that then gets them thinking about diagnosis and medication. Right. And that's not a pathway we want people to go down because it's really hard to sort of pull them back from there. So the first thing we're conveying with the table metaphor is that children do, in fact, have different mental states. And the second thing that we're saying is that there are things that can throw children off balance that can affect their mental states. Right. And there's a number of ways we can demonstrate that with the table metaphor. We can talk about what happens when you remove one of the table's legs so it becomes wobbly and Mm. less functional. Mm. And we can liken that to how children's mental states can become off balance when they don't have the support they need and about how that can make it harder for them to function, whether that's focusing on tasks or, you know, it may make them act out behavioural in a number of ways. Mm. And then we can use the metaphor to talk about how a table can become less functional if the floor beneath it isn't solid. And likewise, if children don't have solid foundations like stable housing or relationships with consistent caregivers, Mm. this can also affect a child's mental well-being. Then the final thing I like is that we know that a a broken table can't fix itself. And likewise, a child experiencing mental health problems or mental distress of some kind can't fix him or herself. He He or she will need support. So... What we try and do here, and this is what we do with all of the metaphors we use, is we try and take something that's familiar and that people can easily visualise and we use it to explain something that's not familiar and that can be difficult to visualise or understand. Right. I like this metaphor because I think you're right. We sometimes don't take children's stress seriously enough. We just think, well, they'll get over it, they'll grow out of it, they'll, you know, they'll forget about it by tomorrow. Yes, that's right. And children do go through a certain amount of stress and, and some of that is fine and it helps helps their development. But mm. but it's when there's that chronic level of stress or something that's really, really bothering them and they need that support, that's when we need to give them that support. Right. So on your website, there are currently nine metaphors that anyone can download for free and they have brief descriptions and examples of how and when they can be used effectively. Some even have animated videos to go with them. But another free resource that I find helpful is a frequently asked questions section. You take common questions that educators often hear and demonstrate how to answer them most effectively. For example, one that I've often heard is that nearly anyone can babysit zero to three-year-olds. So why do we need highly skilled, highly trained people to do it? Can you give us a brief example of a less effective way to answer that question and then give us a more effective answer and tell us why it's more effective? 
Sure. So let's start with a less effective answer. One thing we see a lot in communications about complex issues is that people tend to jump straight into answering the key part of the question. So about the skills of the people, why you need highly skilled, highly trained people. And that's logical, of course, but what it means is that we're missing out on an opportunity to set up our answer properly and to tap into some of the common values that will get people interested in what we have to say. So to avoid this, we recommend that people start off by explaining to the listener what's at stake for them if we don't have trained and qualified early learning staff. We call this leading with a value. So we might say something like, Australia's children are our future citizens, workforce and leaders. Investing in their healthy development outcomes is critical to our nation's future prosperity. The best way to ensure a good return on that investment is to build the highest quality childcare programs we can. And then you jump into answering a key component of that quality is the training and skills of the educators and staff who run them. So you started off by appealing to those values and then you jump into sort of talking about the how because we can't assume as we know that the public knows how children's development works. Mm. So we would set that out, and this is a good time to use one of our metaphors to help explain one of those concepts. So you might use the brain architecture metaphor to explain how brains develop, or you might use the amplifier metaphor to talk about how early learning centres amplify children's development. Right. And this is a really good way to talk about the science without actually referring to science because mm. we know that the Australian public has a, a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with science <laughs> when it comes to early childhood development. <laughs> The research actually showed us that they tend to see it as contributing to problems rather than actually helping find solutions. So we try and avoid the use of that word. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. So then when you have explained how children's development works, you can then talk about why we need qualified early years educators to be working with children. So rather than doing this first, it's actually about the third thing you're speaking on after you've set up your answer. And then at the end, a lot of answers would just sort of end there, but we suggest that a more effective way of ending your response is to return to the value that you talked about in the beginning. So you would reiterate that the issue has important implications for all Australians and for the country's future prosperity. And this just helps to remind people about what's at stake for them. Mm. So you're trying to make it a bigger issue, like this is a whole society issue. And That's right. One, one of the things we find is people always tend to come back to the individual and that mm. that isn't an effective thing for people to be thinking about. We want to broaden people's views to the collective and okay. see why why this is good for the collective good. Right. Um, and so we keep trying to broaden it out to that collective rather than people coming back to their individual situations. Oh, that makes sense. The metaphors you've developed are considered relevant to Australians and from what I've read, most of them match research coming out of the US and the UK fairly well. Can these metaphors be used anywhere? For example, currently the country with the highest number of listeners to this podcast is China. What should an educator or administrator in China think about before using one of these metaphors or should they even use them at all? Well, the metaphors that we use in Australia, the ones that have been developed out of the research that was conducted here, they were all tested with the Australian public. So the problem, I think, with using untested metaphors is that you don't really know if the metaphor is going to make sense to people in a different country. Mm. The way that metaphors work is very dependent on language and culture. 
Um, so I wouldn't advise, and I know that the Frameworks Institute who conducted the research for us, they wouldn't advise using them in a country where they haven't been tested. Right. So, particularly a country where the language and culture might be quite different. It is important to note, though, that metaphors are only one of a number of strategic framing elements that you can use to help your communications become more effective. So I mentioned earlier at the beginning, at the end of your communication, it's a good idea to appeal to common values. And in Australia, the research found that the value that produced the most support for early childhood policy change was one of collective future prosperity. Right. But that's actually not the same value that works in the UK. Now, off the top of my head, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this entirely correctly, but I'm, I'm quite sure that the value that produced the most support in the UK was something like compassion or empathy, oh. the idea that we should support certain policies because we should be compassionate towards other people or have empathy towards them. So there's actually a real danger in appealing to the wrong value because it can have the effect of turning people against your message. Right. So that's where we have to be really careful, and, again, that's where doing the research in a particular country becomes really important. Mm. So you have to understand what motivates people in your community the most before you start telling them stories about how early childhood works. Yes, that's exactly right, because all of the values they tested in Australia did produce some support, some more than others, but some of the values they tested in the USA suppressed support for certain policies. So, yeah, we do have to be careful. So in your work here, you can create metaphors, etc. for Australia, but you can't necessarily take all those metaphors and ask American educators to use them. You have to do a lot more thinking about it before you venture that way. Yeah, that's right. I think you would want at least some preliminary testing. It can be difficult to do the sort of in-depth research that we did, Mm. but you would certainly want to test with a broad spectrum of the population to make sure that they made sense and that they were culturally relevant and that they had the effect that you wanted them to have. Right. What I like about what you're saying is that even educators who are listening and they're they're not Australian, when you're talking to your parents, your community about early childcare, really think about what they understand in the first place before we start spouting off all our knowledge and all our science and understanding. You need to understand your community. So even if you're a school in China, you need to be asking those questions of your community. You need to be feeling them out and understanding what do they know about early child care? What are their misconceptions? And how can we work to slowly, slowly change those misconceptions? That's exactly right. It's really important to have an understanding of where your audience is at mm. and, and what their their understandings are because people will have views and even if people don't understand exactly how the processes work or how, mm. how brains develop or how children develop, they will have opinions on things. People have life experience, they've heard things or they've read things and unless you know where that understanding is, then it's difficult to know how to work with people to If you need to change those, I mean, they may have the the right perceptions Mm. and understandings, but if they don't, you need to know where they're at to know how to then work with them to change those. Right, because we want people to come with us. We don't want to just challenge them because that's not going to make anybody change their view, is it? We need to somehow bring them along on a journey with us. 
That's right. And that's a really important point. Challenging often has the opposite effect that can that can often backfire. Mm. We actually what we find is if there is a misconception out there, we try not to even really use that language in our communication. So, for example, the idea we talked about before of childcare educators just being babysitters, mm. we wouldn't even bring that up in our communication. We wouldn't say childcare educators aren't babysitters because right. we wouldn't even go there because the more that you reinforce something that someone already believes, right. even though you're stating it as something that's not correct, mm. We know from research that people will remember that. It will just reinforce their view as being correct. Right. So it's, a, it's a trap you want to avoid. So when we're communicating with our parents, we need to really sit and think carefully. If we're putting articles in our newsletters about child development, we really need to think about what we're saying. That's such a good point. Don't say what you're not. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think if you sit down and you think about what it is that you want people to understand and your families to understand, and you all talk about those things in a consistent language, and mm. whether you use the metaphors or not, I mean, the metaphors can be really helpful for you to try and get those complex concepts across. But it's important to be just talking consistently, putting across those messages, explaining why you think a certain way or why processes happen a certain way mm. so that as you said before you're bringing families along on that journey with you you're not challenging or pushing back on their beliefs you're just telling them this is what the science tells us without using the word science mm. um, and this is what we understand this is why we're working with your child in this way and this is what we're working with them on today because it's going to help their social development or their emotional development or whatever that may be mm. the consistency that seems to be the important the well-thought-out consistency. That's right, yes. So let's pretend that you're running an early childhood centre in Melbourne in a middle-class area with both Australian and immigrant non-English-speaking families. You know that many of your families will hold ideas about early childhood that are not scientifically accurate. What would you do as a centre manager to educate your families over the long term about early childhood development and care? First of all, I would start from the position that no matter what people understand about early childhood development, the vast majority of families just want the very best for their children. And then the second point I would make, which I raised before, is that people can come to have a different understanding of things if we communicate with them in the right way and mm. if we take the time to explain how processes work. So if I was a manager of a childcare centre, I would take every opportunity that, that I could to make the science accessible in my communications with families. And whether that's verbally or it's through the use of pictures, if that's more helpful, I think it's helpful if all staff in the centre are talking in a consistent way, mm. they're using the same language about what they're doing with each child and how that's making a difference. So as an example, say you were speaking to one of the parents who has a baby in the baby's room, you might say something like, Aisha and I were having such a good little talk today. I would look at her and say a few sounds and then I'd wait and she would try and make those sounds back. And right. we were doing this for about 15 minutes. And we have a name for this. We call it the serve and return interaction because it reminds us a bit of a tennis match. And it's such a good way of developing her speech sounds and she really seems to love it. So, you know, that's just an yeah. example. And obviously you would tailor that for the families that you're working with. But it's a way of bringing in one of those metaphors and explaining mm. a little bit about child development. Yeah, in a really natural way that's 
clear everyone can understand it but it's just part of the conversation it doesn't sound like you're trying to preach to them or anything yeah that's right I'll sit down and give them a bit of a lecture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other one I really like is the weaving skills rope metaphor and that can be a good one if families perhaps don't understand that children develop across a number of domains or or perhaps if they're primarily focused on developing one domain, say the cognitive do- domain, right. and they're not as concerned about others. Right. So if I just quickly explain yeah. this one. So the weaving skills rope, it talks about how a rope is made up of three strands and that they're woven together and that all the three strands are necessary to make that rope strong. Mm. So the three strands represent the cognitive, social and emotional skills development. It can be really helpful if you explain this metaphor to families about why children need to develop strongly in all of those areas, mm. that for the rope to be strong, they need all three. Right. And once families are familiar with the metaphor, you can then use it in, in examples. So you might say something like, oh, and here's what we did today to work on the cognitive strand on, of mm. the rope. Or, you know, we've noticed that Alex has been having troubles lately and being able to bounce back when things don't go his way. Mm. We want his emotional skills to be as strong as his cognitive and social skills mm. are. So we're just going to work with him on developing that for the next little while. Yeah, I really like that. That's Even to me, I can picture it in my head straight away. And then if you're using that same language all the time and the parents become familiar with it, so they instantly understand what you're getting at. Yeah, that's right. And I know that within early learning centres, there are other frameworks that you already use, such as the early years learning framework. So mm-hmm. if you can tie these this language and, and the metaphors and things into that framework as well that parents might already be familiar with, mm. then that could work even, even better. Right. Megan, this has been a very interesting topic and I'm sure many educators that are listening will download those metaphors so they can start making use of them in their own practice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you for having me. And I just wanted to note too, if anyone needs any help with using the metaphors or or wants further explanation about any of the resources, I'm more than happy for people to get in touch with me. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Megan Keyes. If you go to the show notes, you'll find links to the free metaphor cards, the videos and frequently asked questions and answers. We only managed to talk about a few of the metaphors during the interview, so I encourage you to go and look at all of them, because whether or not you are able to use them within your cultural context, they can really help us think about how we present important concepts to our parents and our communities. On the show notes, you'll also find the written transcript of this interview and a link to a strategic framing LinkedIn group that you're very welcome to join. You can find the show notes at lizesearlylearningspot.com. Just click on the podcast tab and look for episode 7. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes to submit a rating and review. Thank you for joining me to learn more about early childhood research and how it's communicated, and I wish you happy teaching and learning. Thanks for listening to the Early Childhood Research Podcast at www.lizesearlylearningspot.com.